Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning to you joining us online. We're thrilled to have you. Good morning to those in the room. Good morning, especially to those who are here. I got to meet a few of you for the very first time. It's a big deal to us, and we're so excited to start a brand new series today that's going to kind of reveal who we are, what we're about, where we're going as a church. Uh, you know, I've told you that my, um, my oldest two are driving now. Watch out. They're behind a wheel. But the, one of the first times I got in the car to just kind of practice in a, in a parking lot out, and one of my kids, I won't tell you which one, one of my children looked at me behind the wheel. I'm in that helpless place that some of you parents know of the passenger seat. And this child asked me, this one's the gas, right? <laughs> it's like, wow. Okay, we're starting from there. Because if you don't know which one's the gas... That's pretty, pretty important. Like you can do everything right. You can signal, you can be aware, you can know all the rules of the road, you can pass the test, you can be perfect. But if you don't know which one is the gas and which one is the brake, it's not going to go well, right? So, so that's elementary foundational stuff and you build on that. Well, this series is that. This is, this is and don't take elementary as kind of a negative. That's a positive word. This is what we're building, what God is building our church on. This is us. This is who we are. This is who we believe God called us to be. It's basic, but that doesn't mean it's light or unimportant, right? It's super important. And we're going to talk a little bit today about this church, specifically our church name, right? When we, when we knew we were planning a church, I did not want to have some crazy church name that was going to be an issue or what is it, what are you doing? Like, that's weird. I just want a normal church name, whatever that is. We could have called it normal, right? Normal church, right? But, but then God started the first time we can remember, my wife and I, the first time we can remember, she thinks I said it first. I'm pretty sure she said it first. We were eating at a restaurant in Frankfort, Kentucky, capital of Kentucky, little known fact, Frankfort. And, and we're talking about this, this, our lives and who God has been in our marriage, who he's been in, in, our, in our walk. And one of us said, you know, he just has been relentless. And that began a conversation of maybe that's, maybe that's what we are supposed to. So we just kept praying and working through it and talking to God about it. And I was um, working at a church and part of my job was to put together um, studies for small groups and this or that. And, and one day, I remember it vividly, I sit in my office and I was doing like a little brief description of two books that our church was gonna go through. Very different books, very different authors. One of them is by, well, he's like a spiritual father to me. I talk about my coach a lot, Dean Troon. And he wrote this book called The Path Toward Passion. And on the back of it, uh, it says this hunger for God does not come naturally, but we can uh, have a growing passion to connect with him. Uh, he suggests that we can have, this book suggests we can develop a relentless passion through some simple steps of discipline. I was like, hey, that's our word, a relentless passion for God. And then I was, the next book was this book called Crazy Love by Francis uh, Chan. And I don't know him, um, but he's a famous author and Christian pastor guy. And, and it, right on the front, it says overwhelmed by a relentless God. And the word just wouldn't go away. And then once you tune your ears to it, and I apologize in advance if you have not, because it can kind of get on your nerves, but just spin it positive. Now that I've kind of made you aware, we get free advertising on the daily. You cannot watch a sports event. The Olympics, it was on steroids. They say the word relentless constantly, and they do that to kind of pump our church, which is awesome. <laughs> Right, but it's, it's, a, it's an overused word, but it, it is a word. It's not us, right? We're called Relentless Church, and I hope that we're becoming relentless, but the, the name was never about us. It's about who our God is. 
And we're going to look at and, and really, we, we talk about that conversation in the restaurant, and I talk about these books and how that really, what we're going to walk through today, this specific chapter of the Bible is how we got our name and how, how we got kind of our drive and our passion to be who we are. And it's really, most would say, the most famous story Jesus ever told, right? That's crazy. Jesus said a lot. How good would a story have to be? Some of you are writers and storytellers and creatives. How good would a story have to be for me to make something up today and then be talking about it in the year 4,000? Right? There ain't no story that you could tell that they're going to be talking about in the year for that. I, like, but Jesus told this story. And I know uh, online with us and even in the room, I hope we're a church for the untold and unconvinced. So I hope there's somebody in the room that's thinking, I don't know if Jesus even said that. Right? Some people call you skeptics. We, we don't like to label you. We're just glad you're here. But if that's you, right? I, we preach whole messages on that. A the, the, lot of the, the faith and the excitement from today, I am so confident that Jesus said the words we're going we're gonna to hear today. Now, he didn't say them like we're going to hear them because Jesus didn't know English. You know that? I mean, he knew it because he knows all things, but English had not been invented 2,000 years ago. So he didn't speak in English, but we've translated it into English. And the question is, well, how do we know Jesus actually said these things? How do we know they're from God? From like, right? So, so we recommend a book that just, if you really care, then do your homework, right? It, if, what's worth it? Right? What's worth your time more than is this book from man or is it from God? So there's a book called God Breathe. We've talked about it before. Some of you have already ordered it and read it. Maybe you started it and you need to get back to it. But it will break down very detailed how reliable scripture is intellectually, historically, scientifically, archaeology, uh, archaeologically. Right? Go with me. Right? So what I'm saying is there is confidence, not by faith. There is intellectual confidence that we are going to hear the story translated into English as Jesus told it 2,000 years ago. And, and even outside of Christianity, scholars, like in all of literature, this is known as one of the best, most amazing short stories ever told. And it tells us a lot about who we are. This is us. Chapter 15 of Luke. We're going to jump in in verse 11. I'll explain that later. And he, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. Wow. <laughs> you talk about a hook, right? You know those movies that start with some crazy scene? Here comes Jesus. Here comes the story. The story is going to change the world. There was a man <laughs> who had two sons. Are you in? Are you leaning in? Like, oh, what happens next? Right? Kind of, kind of a boring start, but it gets better. Now, we culturally have called this story, we call it the prodigal son. That's not in scripture, right? Man came in and they wanted to put headings on stuff and organize stuff and somebody like, there's nothing about prodigal son in scripture, right? That's not in there. Jesus told the story and the first line tells you a lot about the story. He says it's a story about two sons, not one. Verse 12, the younger of them said to his father, father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. All right, here's what Jesus is doing. You got to remember, like sometimes we, 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 we look at stories of Jesus' interaction with a real human and it really happened. This didn't. Jesus made up this story. 
And we'll learn why this morning, which is everything to who we are. Jesus made up the details of the story. What's he doing? He's only trying to make people mad from the get-go. He's making up a story. And he's like, hey, there's a guy with two sons, and the younger asked for his inheritance. In that culture, there's nothing more offensive you could do than to be have a living father and ask him for your inheritance before he dies. On top of that, as the younger son, you ain't getting nothing. Or you're going to get nothing compared to the older son. Like, you, if you're going to ask, you shouldn't ask. But if you're going to ask, don't ask as the younger son. And Jesus shocks them with the next sentence. He asked, oh, and the father said, sure. And he gave it to him. Jesus is the author of this story. I saw recently uh, Denzel, right? You, you know you've just achieved all kinds of status when I don't have to tell you his last name, right? But Denzel Washington, if you don't know, that he's directed four or five movies. He, he Back, 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 he directed Antoine Fisher back in the day and some other movies, only like four or five. But he's directing a movie, I just saw the first preview for it, with Michael B. Jordan in it. Denzel directed, Michael B. Jordan acted, right? And, and the, the difference in being in a movie and directing a movie is when you direct, you get to know, I don't, let's reshoot that. I want this to feel and look this way. It's got his fingerprints all over it. This story and the details of it is written, starred in, directed, authored, all of that by Jesus. So what he's doing is he's creating emotion. Here's two sons. The younger one asked for his inheritance. How could you disrespect your father any more than that? And the father gives it to him. Now, a lot of times in our church, and, and we've advertised this series, like, hey, if you've been with us in the pandemic, if you've been with us for weeks or months, like, this is, like, the core of who we are. And some of us that have been together for years, we need to be reminded. I need to be reminded of who we are and why we are as a church. A lot of times, we're walking through Scripture verse by verse. We love preaching and teaching verse by verse through Scripture. I'm not going to do that today. You know why? Because it's a story. I don't want to read you a story. Like, there's some kids back there, they love to get read to. You're too old to get a story read to you. I'm going to tell the story, and you can fact check me later. I'm not going to, I haven't memorized it, so I'll, I won't say it exactly like Jesus, but I got, like, this is my story, y'all. So I got, I got it pretty much in my mind. So I'm going to tell it to you close to what Jesus told it back in the day. We're going to unpack it together. So from there, what happens? He, he asked for inheritance, and the scripture, uh, the, the, the English word is squandered. He asks for his inheritance and he gets it, and he squanders it, which means he blows it, which means he wastes it, which means he loses it. And it says that he loses it, and, and different translations either translate it reckless or wild living. All right, we, we don't have to have too much of an imagination, right? There's some sinning going on. He took his inheritance, he went to a far land, and he partied. Hard, And there's only certain kind of partying that takes a lot of money. So he partied so hard that, hey, I got all this money. I can party forever. And then, well, I don't have as much. I'm not, maybe he wasn't a good accountant kind of guy. Next thing he knows, the money's gone. His friends, his new friends, right? You show up at a new place and you're throwing parties and you got money. It's easy to get friends. Those friends were gone. And he was alone and poor and hungry. So he gets a job at Burger King, not McDonald's, Burger King, right? That's how bad, that's how bad it is, right? Now that's not, that's not in Luke 15 unless like you're real, like a pastor and you study all the Greek and you know like Burger King, it's way deep down in the, in the translation. But he gets a job, actually he gets a job feeding and taking care of pigs. 
And it says in the story that Jesus makes up and he's in charge and directing the details, it says that he's sitting there and he's stealing from, he's, he's eating some of the pig food. Because, not because he likes it, because if he doesn't, then he won't survive. Like he's, he's not having a, a tough month financially. He cannot survive unless he eats the food of pigs. And then there's this moment and it says that he came to himself or, or some translations say he came to his senses. But he has the thought, you know, I could go home. This is the moment we pray for, not just on Easter or big, this is the moment we pray for for you, for Wake County, for Raleigh, for North Carolina, for the country, for the world. This is the moment we celebrate. This is the moment we believe and have seen happen in the room and even through a video camera. This moment where a human being realizes, hey, this is not how I was meant to live. This is, I'm not supposed to be this empty. I could go home. And when that decision happens, we, we baptize people here in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we don't believe that that is the finish line or the goal. We believe that is the beginning of life. When you come to this moment of like, I just want to go home. And, and Scripture will use a word that we can get confused about. It's a simple word. It's repent. Right? It's a good word. It, it just means to, to turn around, to change my mind, to rethink or, or go a different way, right? It, do, it doesn't mean you, you, you're out there doing all this awful stuff and living it up like this guy. It just means I, I'm living, I'm on a path that's about me. It could be a very good life, but it's about me. It's a repenting. I'm going to go back to my father. And his reasoning is this. The young son, his reasoning, Jesus gives it to us. He's thinking, there's no reason for me to die like this. Like, I'm not going to make it. I could go home, I could, I could ask my dad for a job as a servant, and at least I'll eat and be okay. And he says this line, there's no way I'm worthy to be called my dad's son, but I could at least hire myself out. So he begins to kind of make this speech, and, and here's, let me take a detour. I, I try to think, like, how can we understand what it would be like to blow your dad's inheritance and then go back and face him, right? So this is the best I got. I've never told this story publicly because it's really embarrassing. So I ask for your grace, all right? So 2009, housing crisis. We, are, um, we, we come across, I'm gonna try to leave a lot of these details out because they're not important. We come across a house that is our dream house that is way less than a house should be that is that, amazing, right? But because of the, it was owned by a, uh, some sort of company that rented out for its business in Arizona. Like they had all this stuff. They didn't care. It had been vacant for nine months and we couldn't believe the price on like, that's a misprint. So we called about it. It was a misprint. They'd accidentally done it $30,000 and they meant to list it, right? But we were like, you know what? That's what we're offering. We're offering that even though they made a misprint. And what do you know? They took it, right? But we didn't have a loan. We didn't have, it's not like today where you got to have all your stuff like up. So we went to this bank, went to that bank. We could not, we couldn't get like, they couldn't, they wouldn't qualify us for the house because we hadn't sold our house. And this thing was like, we got to, so my parents knew about that. We didn't, I would never have asked this, but my dad said, listen, it has to be a gift legally, but I'll, I'll give you 
$70,000 as a deposit. And then when you sell your, your house that you're living in, then you pay me back. You got to pay me back, but we can't. It's, it's got to look like a gift, right? A little shady. I like it, right? So my first question is, how do you have $70,000? My dad was a teacher and then assistant principal, and that's a whole different other story. But, but he's being generous. I'm like, wow. So I went to the bank. They're like, yeah, that'll definitely work. So, so, so we got our dream house, and we used that as a deposit. And then for months, I owed my dad this money. Right, and he, he was cool with it. it was like, hey, when you sell your house, and so we sold our house um, more months than I wish, but a few months later, and it was it was an amazing thing. So we had a closing date, and I was like, all right, Dad, we're closing on Thursday. I will mail you that check, seventy thousand. I will get that. I'm, I'm like, I'm appreciative, but I'm ready to get that. And he's like, I don't want you mailing a check of that size. We're coming up in three weeks. I don't want you mail like just we'll, we'll handle it when I come to visit. Well, they were in. Winston-Salem, where I grew up, and we were in Kentucky. So we close, and he doesn't want me to mail him a check. So that 70 grand is sitting in my checking account. What? And I'm thinking, we live 10 minutes from this amazing horse track. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't take it to the horse track. But I did, I did more sophisticated gambling. It's called the stock market. I, I'd been in the stock market since I was 18 years old. And I was like, man, I've been following this stock. You might have heard of it. This is back in 2010. It's called iRobot. They make Roombas. And then it had a tough little season. I was like, I know it's at the bottom. My dad doesn't want his money. I, 70 grand. Like, that's like... 69,000 more than I got, right? So, so it could just go up a little and I can make a lot and then give him his 70, Bob pocket the profit. Like this is a brilliant plan I have. So I did. I put, oh, you groan. Are you groaning at home? I put $70,000 into stock symbol IRBT and I made six grand. Right? It went up like eight, 9% in that. I never told my dad. Right? He's with Jesus now. It says that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I don't even know exactly what all they see and hear up there. My guess is he's with us and watching what's going on. I'm really sorry. Right? <laughs> and then you're like, why are you sorry? That's a brilliant move. No, that was ridiculous. Do you know how many things? And I was, I was way too old. To, I knew better. The, the CEO, Colin Engel, he could have got hit by a bus. Uh, they could have found out that Roombas caused cancer. The stock market could have crashed for some other reason. There could have been a terrorist attack. There could have been a thousand reasons that that stock could have been cut in half in a day. And my dad's 70,000 could have been 35. And he's coming to visit me. And that's the only thing I can think of of what that conversation would have been like. Dad, ah, well, here's what I'd... I don't know how, I don't know what I would do. I just don't want to have that conversation. And that, that moment is nothing compared to asking for your inheritance, the details that Jesus made up, and now not half of it, it's all gone. And his issue, his issue is so important, and Jesus gave us this detail. He's going to lead with, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. We're a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement of God, and the gospel is the center, and here is the crux of the gospel. We preach against religion. How do you know the difference between Jesus and religion? Religion says that your worth comes from your performance. 
Why would he say I'm no longer worthy to be your son? Because why would Jesus give us that detail? Because he knows our default is, hey, you won't accept me back because of what I've done. My worth, when I was behaving and not asking for your inheritance and not blowing it, then I was worthy to be your son. But now that I've blown it and blown it on a massive scale, then there's no way I can still be your son. That's what Jesus is pushing against. Where does our worth come from? Is it from how well we've behaved and how little we've messed up? Or does our worth come from being a created child of God. Now it's important, I started in verse 11, it's important to know where this chapter began and why Jesus is telling this most amazing story. Some of you might remember this, the whole chapter is three stories. There's only two verses that are non-story and those are the first two verses. I do want you to see those on the screen. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him, who him is Jesus. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes, they were grumbling. What were they grumbling about? What were they accusing Jesus of? Here's what they were grumbling. This man receives sinners. Not only does he receive them, he eats with them, which is kind of like, you know, validation, like they're okay with me. The religious was so mad at Jesus because he dared to eat and associate with the wrong people. And Jesus had spoken to that, and this made Jesus angry. But instead of, like, attacking them and going at them, which he did plenty of, he just said, you know what? I'm going to tell some stories. And he told a story of a lost sheep. And he touched the emotion of all the shepherds that knew what it was like to have 99 sheep good, but you're not worried about them. You're worried about the one that's not and the emotion of when you find one. Then he told a story about a woman who lost a coin and the emotion of, and it wasn't just like a quarter. It was a coin that represented like her whole retirement and the emotion of that. And he, he pressed in on the emotion of those two stories. And this is so much into the heart and story of Relentless as we were praying through planning this church. You know, God spoke and God speaks in your life in a lot of ways, right? He speaks circumstances. He'll speak through conversations. He'll, he'll, he'll speak to your heart. He'll speak through worship. He'll speak all kinds of ways. I still believe God's favorite way to speak is through Scripture, and, and the study of Luke, the gospel of Luke, was a lot of the way we became relentless church, specifically this chapter. And, and this may sound like some exaggeration here, but this is exactly how it happened 2012. I had given my wife months ago a, uh, a gift card for one of her favorite stores. Now, it was a lazy man. It was a lazy husband gift card. It was cash in an envelope right? Because I didn't really make it to the store. So I put the name of the store on the envelope and it was a hundred bucks, which in our world, like that's like, man, this is, you, you know, you give gifts because you love. And then sometimes you try to give gifts with a little wow behind them. This was a little wow, like a hundred bucks to your favorite store. Well, it came time to like, she wanted to go to that store and she couldn't find the envelope with a hundred bucks in it. Well, we, we know it's here. It's in the house. So we looked this was a June night. We looked, and the reason I know this, I went back and I journaled all this. I went back and looked to make sure I was giving you the, the details right. We looked for an hour for that and could not find that. And it went to bed with that feeling of like, what in the world? Like, we've lost 100 bucks? The first thing I did the next morning was pray. No, 
No, I went straight to looking. We were looking, like we wake up, we gotta find this money. Kelly found it in her, in her little uh, blue travel case. I don't know, you know the story, I don't remember the story of how it got there, but she found it, she let me know she found it, and it was like this, ah, it's like life can go on, we found the money. So now, right, not first to Jesus, no. I was first to the money. Now the money's found, now I'm gonna go pray and spend some time with Jesus. And as I did, that day, I was going verse, paragraph by paragraph. That day started with the second paragraph in Luke 15. A woman was looking for a coin. She, found, she called her neighbors and looked everywhere. And when they found it, they celebrated. And in the same way, it's party in heaven when one sinner comes home. When one sinner repents, all of heaven explodes. And in my journal, I read it to Kelly the other day. I was looking back at it. In my journal, I said, okay, 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 we'll plant this church. That was kind of like, okay, you're in this. This is not accidental, coincidental. This is the heart of God. And if you're calling us to plant a church, it'll be the heart of relentless church. This is a relentless God, and we're about to see it back to the story. The son is making his trek back, poor, tired, worn out and embarrassed and shamed. And Jesus tells us it this way. He says, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Maybe my favorite detail in the story, right? Because it says that the father, Jesus is letting us know in the story that he directed, that he made up, that he wrote, that he authored, that he was in charge of the details to let us know who God really is. He told us that the father was looking. We don't know how much time had been. There's no way he would know that today's the day, but he, this, he was looking from a long way off. He saw and you say, well, a relentless God, relentless means you just keep coming. A relentless God would have gone and gotten the kid, right? And he just showed up in the foreign country and said, no, you're coming home, right? And God is that. He is the rescuer, we say all the time. His job is to rescue. Our job is to repent. But we do have a job, right? We just don't sit there. Yes, he'll come and meet you where you are, but you got to go to him, right? He'll meet you way more than halfway, but he loves it when we seek him. So this relentless God, he was looking and he was searching and he was wanting, but he asked him and he asked you to take a step home. And it says he sees him from a long way off and he runs. And the young man is thinking, oh no, <laughs> I knew he was mad. I didn't know he was running mad. Like, I hadn't seen my dad run in a long time. Like, he's going to run. Is this like a full-fledged drop kick? Like, I, do I need to, you know, what is going on? But he runs to him, and it's the most beautiful fictional moment in Scripture, right? It didn't actually happen. Jesus is making up a story to let us know who God really is, because he knew it'd be hard. In 2021, he knew there'd be all kinds of people and things and distractions to hijack who God actually is. So Jesus, the only time in scripture, he tells three stories back to back to back, lost sheep, lost coin, two sons. And the father wraps him up in the biggest father-son hug that you can imagine. He kisses him and he hugs him. That's the reaction he gets. While he was still a long way off, the father runs. Let me ask you a, a personal question. Have you ever met a God that runs to you when you blow it? 
Now, I know some of you have met a God who runs to you to tell you what's up when you've blown it, right? You were taught some sort of God that Jesus ain't talking about, but I'm asking you for real. Have you ever met a God that when you have totally disrespected, disobeyed, when you have done the worst thing that you've done, do you know a God who runs to you with love? church. That's who we are. That's the God we get to take. People don't know. They think he he runs away. They really think he runs away. Why do they think that? Because Christians sometimes run away from people at their worst moment. It's not who God is. Jesus proved it. I want to tell you a story so nobody can take away the beautiful, relentless grace that is real. We serve a God who runs to us when we're at our worst. And he hugs us and this hug and this kiss, this is stunning grace, the son. You talk about stunning grace, grace that some of you have received. Some of, some of you were praying you do receive it, this grace that just wrecks you. He didn't know what to do. He did not expect the hug and the kiss, so what does he do? He just goes into his speech. He's hugged, he's kissed, and he's like, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Maybe you could hire me, and that's all I need. That's all I want. <laughs> that's what he says. And because this love, if you've experienced it, it's reckless. It's relentless. It's it's overwhelming. And the father's reaction is beautiful. Remember, Jesus wrote, authored, directed this. How does the father respond to this hugged and kissed son who's given a speech about I'm not worthy? He completely ignores him. Fact check me. That's your homework. I would love families, singles, dorm. Like, read Luke 15 out loud. It's powerful. The father does not even acknowledge that the son said anything. Instead, he turns to his people, his workers, and he says, I need you to quickly get the robe, put it on him. Get the ring, put it on him. Get some shoes. Look at those nasty, ashy feet. Get some shoes on my son. And after we're done, because we got we to gotta identify with who we are. We sang that awesome song, I am who he says, I, who I am says who I am. Like we got we to gotta look in the mirror sometimes and say, I'm a child of God. We got to sing it. We got to declare it. The father's like, I know you're my son. You never stop being my son, but you don't feel like my son. You're talking about being a hired hand. That's not who you are. I'm going to put some stuff on you. I'm going to dress you and talk to you and look at you like what you really are until you believe it. And I know we're dealing with a lot, and I don't even know half of the stuff's going on in your life, but when you walk out of here, if you believe that you've repented, that you've come home, that you're a child, a son and daughter of the king, it changes your life. And he doesn't just say the, the ring, the shoes, and the robe. He also says, hey, go kill that fattest calf we got, right? The one that we were saving and we didn't even know why we were saving it. We're eating that tonight. We're eating ribeye, medium rare, right? It was, there's no medium, there's no well done in scripture. You know, that's offensive to God when you order a well done steak, right? This is medium rare, thick cut. We are going to party tonight. Here's why, here's why what he said. Jesus told this story. We're gonna party, we're gonna dress you like this because... My bad son is good now. No, it's not what he said. He said, because my dead son is alive. My lost son is found. 
This dude, he's hopeless and helpless like we are. Hopeless and helpless and headed to hell without Jesus. And he came to his senses and he, and he came home. We are not a church trying to make bad people better or good people great. We are a church built on the gospel of Jesus that helps found people, lost people get found, dead, spiritually dead, empty people become alive in Christ. That's what we're about. That's what we're going to always be about. That's what we want you. If you're with us, if the us includes you, and I hope it does, that's what you're going to be about. This is beautiful. Watching good people become better, like, I'm not, I don't have time for that. Watching spiritually dead people come alive, step into why they were created, why they exist, to know their God who loves them and a father who will run to them when they're at their worst, that's worth our lives, church. But remember, it was a story about two sons. We only covered one. There's a part of me that wished he had just stopped there with this most amazing story. But it's important that he didn't. As they're getting ready for the party, and, the, and it must have been loud, the older son was out doing stuff, and he's doing his work, and he, and he comes back, and he's like, what, what is going on? I hear stuff. What is happening? And somebody tells him, dude, your little brother's home. Your little brother's home. Your dad's, you know, dressing them up, robe, ring, shoes, and they're cooking the, you know, like we're partying. Your little brother is home. And Jesus tells this story so brilliantly. We, we just, man, father just said that a dead son is now alive. You imagine, and you just want to see this older brother go give him a, a, the big hug and kiss, and he doesn't. In the story that Jesus made up, in the story that Jesus made up, in response to some religious people complaining about the type of people Jesus was hanging around. Jesus ended the story with the older son coming to the dad and saying, you gotta be kidding me. What? I, I never left? I never asked for inheritance? You never thrown a party like this for me? I, if anybody deserves it, there's only two of us, Dad. This is an easy one. This isn't like, oh, let me pray about it. No, this is, me. Like, this is all me. I, I deserve. And he was confident. And he was right. right? A lot of the people that Jesus was telling this story to, they'd be like, yeah, amen. I didn't like any of that story. But now the older son's finally bringing some truth to this story. Here's why. Grace leads to gratitude, but religion leads to entitlement. Grace, it just wrecks us. Not just every Sunday, yes, it's important to be together and to be together the best we can be and to sing and hear the word together, but it's Monday, it's Tuesday, it's Saturday, it's Friday night. We're just we're just wrecked by, you came, you ran, you forgave, you rescued, you adopted, you love, you know everything there is to know about me and my life, and you love me. Wow. And it just, man, it just makes us grateful, and it motivates us to live the life and do and be the church and all the things we talk about all the time. Grace just leads to gratitude, but if you're built on a belief in God, right, not a trust, but just a belief, if you're built on religion, if you're built on I'm worthy when I perform well, 
then that comes with I deserve. And you struggle to celebrate for others. Right? We want this older brother to say, oh, he's home. I've been praying for him. I've been praying every day. This is a day we've been praying for. Oh, yeah, we're going to eat and I'm going to party right there. That's what, we, that's what we want to say. But it was none of that. It was I. Relentless grace will always offend self-righteous people. Relentless grace, grace that has no limits, grace that doesn't make anybody out of bounds, grace that doesn't say anybody's too far gone, that kind of grace, relentless grace will always offend forever. It did then, in Jesus' story, it does now. It will always offend self-righteous people. Because if you think righteousness can be gained by your performance, then there's nothing more offensive than somebody who performed worse getting grace. And this dude, this older brother, he, he says this. Jesus gives us this little line. He says to his dad, he says, this my little brother. He was, out, he was out spending your inheritance on prostitutes. Now, could that be wild living? Like that could go together, right? But he has no idea. He has no idea what he's talking about. Back then, if you didn't know, young people, back then there was no Insta, right? There was no Snap. There was no TikTok, Right, for some of you a little old, there was no Facebook either. Right, so, so the, it wasn't like the younger son was out like taking selfies of him. Like this older brother has no idea if he was with prostitutes or not. He's just making stuff up. He's just making it sound. He's just going all in. You ever had somebody in your life that at your worst moment when you needed that love and that grace and they just take it to another level? Self-righteous people, and we all, we don't want to admit it, we all got a little self-righteousness in us somewhere, right? Self-righteous people, they want to label you by your worst. They want you to sit and think, I am, my identity is in when I left. My identity is when I sinned. My identity is when I gave up. My identity is when I doubted. They want you to think, and the enemy wants you to think, that's who you are. It's a lie from hell. It's not who you are, but there will always be somebody in your life and in my life that will label me from my worst decision. And that's what the older brother is doing. But what we want, what Jesus wants is grace received. When we receive it, it translates to grace given. But the older brother, he doesn't understand grace because he thinks he deserves something. So he can't give grace because he doesn't receive grace. Now, you think if, if a lot of you have been around, you've heard about God, you think Jesus is making up this story, you think it would end. Here's this conversation Jesus is making up with, with the older brother and the father, and the older brother complaining. You'd think, Father, representing God in this story that Jesus is telling us, you'd think it would end with the father saying, You know what? You're right. You've been great. Let's get through, let's party tonight for, for a little bub. Next Friday, that's yours, right? We'll do even. We'll, we'll, we'll celebrate everything that you haven't done. We'll celebrate all the stuff that you haven't messed up with. So let's party for a little because he just came home and I already you know, said all that. And then we'll get your party next week. And then, like, then God, you like, equal opportunity party. And Jesus told a story. And he said, the father said, son, to the older son, son, every, everything I got is yours. And you, you don't. You don't have to come in, but we're partying with or without you. Because what was dead is now alive and what was lost 
is now found. The father said, you can miss out if you want, but nothing is going to stop this party. And remember earlier in the chapter, the way the sheep and the coin stories both end is all of heaven celebrates when one sinner repents and comes home. And that's the way the story ends. There's no like story, a punchline or, well, you know, the older son, nothing. It's just like the father's like, sorry, but this is going to be worthy of celebration. Because relentless love of the Father causes dead people to become alive. And that is where it's at. He's basically saying, if you don't party when the lost is found, then you're not with me. If that doesn't do something in you when a lost person comes home, then you're not with me. Because that's what I'm about. That's what my church is going to be about. Now, Jesus was telling this story before he went to the cross. But Jesus knew that he was going to go to the cross and remove the things that keep people from coming home. You know, let me use a conservative number because I think it's way more, but I know this is true. There's 100,000 people. 100,000 people within a 20, 30-minute drive from here. Now, I really believe it's four, five, six hundred thousand, and I could try to prove it to you, but you don't care, right? At least 100,000 people within, within a half hour of where we're meeting and meeting 1540 Mechanical right now that would love to come home to God, and they don't think they can. They have not heard the gospel and rejected it. They have not decided that God doesn't speak and the word isn't real. It's none of that. They would love to come home. They just don't believe that's an option. That's why we're here, church. We get to be the carriers in your world, in your school, in Vasti's classroom, on your block, in your dorm, in your family, in your circles, on your social media posts, you get to be a carrier of the relentless love of a God who never gives up on anybody. How good is that? And it's not like we got to find that one dude or that one young lady in Wake County who hadn't heard. There's 100,000, there's way more. There's 100,000 people that would love to come home. They've just heard from religion. Once you've done, fill in the blank, you're out. I've decided, not as my job, Pastor, I've decided that the best use of my life is with my actions, with my words, with my life to try to get the word out. That's not who God is. He'll run to you. Luke 15, God used it to invent and create relentless church. And a whole, it's not just about us, a whole lot of other churches. And it's always built on the reckless, ridiculous love of Jesus. Father, as we digest your love, I pray it's personal. I pray it's intimate. God, I pray that that those within the sound of my voice, either in this room or, or at home or driving in a car, however you're getting this message to people, God, that they would understand that there might be 
spiritually dead. They may believe in you, but they've never come home. They've never repented. They've never surrendered to you. God, I pray they would believe that it's the beginning of their life. They would allow us as a church to help them walk that walk and make the best decision they could ever make. God, for those in the room and those watching and listening online, that they're yours. They've come home. God, I pray you would excite them about how you might use them and remind them every day for their own life and for people around them that you're a God who doesn't stop coming after us. And I pray we'd celebrate that this day and every day that we're on this earth. We pray and sing in Jesus' name. Amen.